Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will be in order. Mr. Ayers, when you entered the Capitol uh, last year, did you believe that the election had been stolen? At that time, yeah. He told them to, quote, be there, we'll be wild, and they came. The president's entreaties became more urgent. He became more adamant that we weren't doing our job. After our last hearing, President Trump tried to call a witness in our investigation. Let me say one more time, we will take any effort to influence witness testimony very seriously. The January 6th hearings continue tomorrow. So far, the investigation into the causes of the riot at the U.S. Capitol has unearthed new information making clear former President Donald Trump's political team told him he lost the election and his lawyers said they had no evidence of widespread fraud. Trump responded by inciting a mob to storm the Capitol. As expected, Arizona, the state with the closest contest in the 2020 election and some of the staunchest Trump allies on Capitol Hill, is a recurring subcurrent in the hearings. Mr. Starwalt, you were at the decision desk at Fox News on election night and you called Arizona early for President Biden. How did you make that call? What you're waiting to see is, do the actual votes match up with the expectations in the poll? And let me tell you, our poll in Arizona was beautiful. Again, I join my colleagues in calling on Attorney General Barr to immediately let us know what he's doing. Victory or death! Victory or death! And that's Ali Alexander, an organizer of the Stop the Steal movement held before the Capitol insurrection. Alexander claimed that three Arizona lawmakers helped him plan the whole thing. Uh, Congressman Gosar has been the spirit animal of this movement. And there was also a contingent of Proud Boys that I hadn't met before from Arizona who appeared to wear these orange hats. Uh, and when you asked him for evidence of this fraud, what did he say? He said that they did have proof. And I asked him, do you have names? Yes. Will you give them to me? Yes. Because Arizona was still controlled by Republicans in the legislature, Trump and his allies made the state one of the key targets of their pressure campaign to sidestep voters. I'm Ron Hansen, and this is The Gaggle, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Each week, we bring you conversations with reporters, experts, and special guests on Arizona's political landscape. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Richard Rellis, who has covered the extremist groups involved in the insurrection. Together, we're recapping how Arizona fits into the January 6th uprising. Richard, welcome back to The Gaggle. Thanks for having me. I've tried, at least, to talk to the uh, extremist groups. The Proud Boys haven't been very forthcoming. They're not returning my emails or calls. I can't imagine why. 
Okay, let's go through what we do know chronologically. The hearings opened on June 9th, and there was an important detail about the Arizona Proud Boys that came out in that hearing. Tell us about that. The color orange was was the important detail there, that there was discussion from some of the, the officers at the barricades that suddenly a group, they called them the Arizona Group of Proud Boys. There was a documentary filmmaker as well who was following them and said, that one group of Proud Boys was met by another group of Proud Boys from Arizona who were all wearing some kind of orange, either an orange hat, orange armband, and that when they got to the barricades, the officers discussed the situation getting darker, that suddenly now, instead of just a crowd kind of milling about and protesting, now they're attacking the officers. And the officer said during that first hearing, when you're the subject as a police officer of the crowd's ire, it's not going to go well. So we knew that there was no one that we can tell from that group of Proud Boys has faced charges, been arrested, anything. The closest is there was an Arizonan who said, who told authorities after his arrest, I just happened to be around and I met some guys from Arizona who sort of unofficially made me a Proud Boy by giving me an orange wristband. So I walked with them. But we don't know who the other people were. And again, the Proud Boys have been around. Um, they've been fixtures at the Capitol or at a Trump rally in their black and yellow shirts. They're unmistakable. But here, they there was some of the testimony and some other evidence shows they made an effort to say, we're not going to dress like Proud Boys. We're going to try to go in uh, like normies, like normal people, and not stand out. Is there anything about the change in tone that apparently happened in Washington that sounds like the Proud Boys that you have covered here in Arizona? What kind of attitude, what kind of interactions have they typically brought to public events like this in the political context? The political events that, that I've personally witnessed them at are ones in which they're celebrated by other attendees. They're at a Second Amendment rally and everyone wants a photo with them. They're at a Trump rally and people are happy to see them. Where it gets darker is if they show up at a Black Lives Matter protest. And I haven't personally witnessed that, but it appears it's a group from other people's reporting that enjoys some confrontation. So there was some uh, New York Times analysis of video that said that it was, it was members of the Proud Boys that sort of riled up the crowd with shouts through bullhorns, megaphones, and went up to the barricades and started instigating, uh, starting confrontations with officers and getting people to rush the barricades. That the Proud Boys were the ones that took something that might have just been a nonviolent protest and took it to another level. Okay, so let's move to the next hearing. On June 13th, the investigation went into detail on how former President Trump and his inner circle began to panic after Fox News called Arizona for Joe Biden. That made it, I believe, the first state expected to flip from Trump's 2016 column over to Biden. What did the committee say about the Trump campaign's response to that? The folks who were in the room when it happened said that they started to make what was a sort of lovely evening and maybe a potential Trump victory. That's when people started realizing this may not go our way. And that's when 
Trump's mood went dark. There was discussion of a uh, inebriated Rudy Giuliani wandering around. Uh, and the, th the thought out of the committee hearing was as soon as Fox called Arizona for Biden, which a lot of the other networks didn't do, the Associated Press didn't do, it was days until other people took it, um, that when that happened, it sort of put in motion, well, now how do we stop this? And if we can't get Fox to take back that call and make Arizona a toss-up again, well, now how do we stop what looks like a possible defeat? And the discussion at the hearing was that was the moment when the plan started to get set in motion. Let's start doing whatever we can to not lose this. On June 21st, Arizona really went front and center with these hearings. That's when Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers, a Republican from Mesa, testified about the pressure campaign exerted on him. President Trump, then President Trump came on and we initiated a conversation. And during that conversation, uh, did um, you ask Mr. Giuliani for proof of these allegations of fraud that he was making? On multiple occasions, yes. Uh, and when you asked him uh, for evidence of this fraud, what did he say? He said that they did have proof, and I asked him, do you have names? It's worth noting that Bowers first shared much of his account with the Arizona Republic in our award-winning November series, Democracy in Doubt, which gaggle listeners can hear in full by searching for earlier episodes. Trump, who was gregarious throughout much of the call, but quiet during that exchange, told Bowers he understood. Rudy, you've got to get him the evidence that he needs, Bowers recalled the president saying. Trump told Bowers, we're just trying to investigate. Giuliani repeatedly assured Bowers he would send the evidence to attorneys at the State House of Representatives. The evidence never arrived, Bowers told the Arizona Republic, but Fan proceeded with the ballot review Trump wanted. One important detail that came out at the hearing, though, was when Bowers said Rudy Giuliani told him, presumably on December 1st, 2020, they didn't have the evidence he had repeatedly assured Bowers they had. Richard, why is this so important? I think for the nation hearing this story, the idea that Bowers said, give me the evidence. I mean, and in, in your series, it, it was the same kind of quote. Tell me what's going on. And, and Trump saying, give him what he needs, Rudy. You need to give the man the evidence. I think for the nation to hear Rusty Bowers in his, I mean, he's a great interview. And if, if you, his interview on the gaggle, uh, beyond, besides the Democracy in Doubt series, Rusty Bowers as a guest on the gaggle was just um, as, as eloquent and, and plain spoken. And, and so for the nation to hear that man say, I was waiting for the evidence and it didn't come. I think that kind of was a, was a story that people could latch onto, that they didn't have anything to show him. These hearings have been by design, it seems, not the typical snoozer congressional hearings that we've all grown up with. They've had dramatic revelations, and each one seems to have ended with a cliffhanger. Rusty Bowers is clearly one of several breakout stars from these hearings. Talk about that personality, that person that has just been so magnetic for the nation as he has been in Arizona for a while now. Right. I mean, uh, the, the former president talks about out of central casting, you bring people in. 
So here is a lawmaker who is very conservative, supported Trump, wanted Trump to win, and apparently even told a TV reporter he still might vote for Trump uh, if he would have run again. But here he had the carriage and looked the part of this uh, believable man who was not asking for much more than just evidence. And he was someone who, when he got a little shaken up, talking about his faith, talking about how he wouldn't go back on his oath. I think that's sort of the Mr. Smith goes to Washington kind of moment that, that people really gravitated to. Evidence. It's still evidence, but it's still hearsay. But strong judicial quality evidence, anything that would say to me, you have a doubt, deny your oath. I will not do that. And on more than on more than one occasion throughout all this, that has been brought up. And it is a tenet of my faith that the Constitution is divinely inspired of my most basic foundational beliefs. And so for me to do that because somebody just asked me to is foreign to my very being. I, I, I will not do it. Producer Amanda Luberto here. We're just taking a short break to let you know about our free mobile app. Stay up to date on politics, breaking news, and other stories affecting Arizona by downloading the AZ Central app. Available in your App Store and Google Play. Well, and... and Ron, you've spent more time with Rusty Bowers than I have. I mean, what is it about him that you think that that made the story of, of Rudy Giuliani going to the Capitol? And, like, you've probably played that in your head, what that meeting must have been like. Yeah, we went through that meeting in some detail trying to reconstruct what happened and who was there. And it was clear to us that this was something that had really kind of um, important um, overtones for the people who were there, Rusty Bowers in particular. Remember, this is a day after the hotel meeting led by Mark Fincham that involved a parade of witnesses, including Rudy Giuliani and some of his cohorts. And while that one was on display, alleging all kinds of theories and claims that there was widespread fraud, the next day, in private, in closed doors at the state senate, this is when Rusty Bowers wanted to have something more substantive. This is where he's looking for where's the beef? What do we, what do you really have? And so, it was a sober meeting. It had uh, a lot of attendees who were a mystery as to why they were even involved. And for Rusty Bowers to leave the meeting as he did, it was something that was striking that this conservative Republican was left completely unmoved by everything he had heard, and it was a sign of things to come. It's worth noting that Senate President Karen Fan attended that meeting at 
the Senate chamber as well. She heard everything that Rusty Bowers heard and of course they took very different courses of action afterward. Rusty Bowers would not entertain any further intimations of fraud. Karen Fan, by contrast, of course, launched the Senate-led probe of Maricopa County ballots. Okay, let's shift gears. Next up, we had references to Kelly Ward, the chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party, and her husband, Michael. Both are under scrutiny for their involvement to try and send fake electors to Congress on January 6, 2021, for Congress to consider. Richard, tell us about their roles and what came out of the hearings that is important. Yeah, the fake elector scheme is something that we reported on at the time, but we didn't have the context that this was orchestrated. And we still don't quite know how it came together. We're getting closer. But the idea was he didn't like the advice he was getting from his normal advisors. So he sought out new ones. And one was John Eastman. And there's some other attorneys who sort of said, you know, you can use the electoral college to your favor here. There's some wiggle room here in what the procedures are. So there's some pressure points you can play with. So you go back in history and there's been some accounts, you know, in, the, in 1960 or way back, the, the first election we ever had, of how the Electoral College is something that can be played with a bit, that the votes of the people were not quite uh, the, the final say. That hasn't happened for a while. Arizona, like every other state pretty much, has said whatever the voters decide is what the electors are going to do. But somehow the group of Republicans who would have been the electors had Trump carried the state decided to get together on the appointed day that you're supposed to and make your electoral college votes known. So they met at the Republican Party headquarters. They didn't make any secret about it. They put it on YouTube and they put out a press release, proud of it. They even were mad at another group that had met like the week before and called themselves the sovereign citizens and were another elector slate. They, and Kelly Ward's group was essentially saying, no, 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 pay no attention to them. We are the real fake elector slate. The thought was that if they send these up, that gives Mike Pence as vice president, as president of the Senate, as he's supposed to count the electoral votes, he can say, well, I have two envelopes here from Arizona and I'm not sure which one to count. So maybe I don't count either one or I throw it back to the state to decide and the legislature would decide which is the slate. It was part of a plan that was going to make it so that January 6th didn't actually have an outcome. And maybe at the very least, the House that day decides who the president is or it gets kicked back to the states and things are delayed for a while. But it was part of it was like a, a Hail Mary pass to say we're gonna make sure Trump gets another second term. This was the last ditch effort. Speaking of legal machinations, on June twenty third, the committee talked about efforts to get preemptive presidential pardons for members of Congress. It was a group that was led by Republican Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs and would have extended to include the state's other three Republican members. Biggs still denies that he sought a pardon. What is this all about? Yeah, the thought was that that people were, were asking or saying, you know, everyone involved here 
should get a pardon, like just pardon, pardon every Republican who voted to not accept the slate of electors. So that would have included essentially Arizona's Republican delegation. And the Cassidy Hutchinson who gave, that was that surprise hearing, the one unexpected one. Um, she gave testimony that said there was a meeting and that she remembered a lot of people specifically asking for pardons. She mentioned Biggs. She mentioned Gosar. Uh, after some time, she says, oh, and I think Lesko too. Although Lesko says she wasn't there. And in later test, later hearings, visitor logs to the White House say she was not at the White House strategy session where this plan was hatched. The thought was these people now need preemptive pardons because maybe they did try to upend an election. And maybe that would be seen by somebody as a crime. Okay. The committee is planning on at least one more hearing that is expected to focus on Trump's activity during the melee at the Capitol. You'll remember that Congress broke up their session certifying the results as Arizona's Paul Gosar was challenging the results in Arizona and Pennsylvania. In Arizona, as my attachments make clear, mail-in ballots were altered on the first day of counting as shown in data graphs we provide and it's concluded by data analysts. Over 400,000 mail-in ballots were altered, switched from President Trump to Vice President Biden or completely erased from President Trump's totals. The proof is in the counting curves, the curves that cannot occur except with odds so rare and unlikely that winning the Mega Millions lottery is more probable. Uh, Mr. Speaker, can I have order in the chamber? The House will be in order. The House will be in order. Okay. Gosar was a prominent backer of the Stop the Steal effort the committee detailed, but they didn't really get into his specific role. What should we make of that? Yeah, I don't know. Gosar has not come up in the hearing, although leading up to January 6th, he was a huge proponent of Stop the Steal. Gosar was outside the Maricopa County Elections Office with the protesters that included um, Jake Angeli or QAnon Shaman, who was became the face of the rally, a bunch of Arizona patriot types. Alex Jones was out there. But Paul Gosar was there. And the leader of the Stop the Steal movement, Ali Alexander, has called him one of the main drivers of it. Uh, spirit animal, I think, is the phrase used. Through, I guess, a quirk of the alphabet, Arizona was the first state that was that was on the the, the list whose electors were going to be challenged. And it was Paul Gosar at the microphone when they had to cut it short and everyone had to scramble for safety. Okay, so we've talked about Biggs, we've talked about Gosar, and you mentioned Debbie Lesko. Um, I want to ask you about her for just a moment. The committee mentioned that she told Republican leadership the day before the attack that many people were going to be upset when they discovered on January 6th that Trump would not be remaining in office. Lesko told the Republic essentially the same thing in an interview hours after the attack. She was also mentioned as having attended this December 21st strategy session with the White House, uh, but the committee hasn't really drawn that line more formally in these latest hearings, and she has said all along she wasn't there. How does she come out of all of this at this point? 
the way they used that audio in that hearing was to say people knew there was a potential for violence. So here's Debbie Lesko on January 5, meeting with other Republicans and saying, what's the security measure in place? Because there's a lot of people out there. And when they find out that they can't overturn the election, they're going to be mad. She did kind of make a a slight notion to Antifa, and that was probably reacting to the tenor of the room where it's like, not only are there going to be Trump people here, but probably some left-wing activists will come rile up the crowd too. Although there's really been no no evidence that, that any Antifa involvement was, was here. But she did worry and expressed the worry. And the next day on a phone call with uh, the Arizona Republic, AZ Central and the gaggle, uh, expressed the same kind of sentiment. Like, I was worried about what was going to happen. And I think that's what the committee was saying. The pieces were in place. People who knew, people who were in power knew this had the potential to happen. And this final, well, this last hearing that we know is scheduled, there's probably going to be more after this. It's going to look at the beginning of the breach of the Capitol to when Trump finally told everyone to go home and what that three-hour time span was like. We do know that, I mean, Jake Angerly, the QAnon shaman, there's video of him. As soon as Trump sent a tweet saying, go home, as soon as Trump sent that message out, he was telling people, let's get out of here. Trump says to leave. That as soon as Trump did call people off, people went home. It's not like they said, no, we're staying here until you're elected. I think the committee's going to try to make the case, and video evidence backs this up, that Trump had the power at any time to stop this. And for some reason, he waited three hours to do so. Well, we are going to stop this at this point right now. Richard, thank you again for joining us. Uh, If our listeners want to stay on top of your work, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, Twitter, I'm at Rellis Writings, R-U-E-L-A-S Writings. Very good. The committee isn't expected to finish its work until the end of the year. We'll keep you apprised of how that unfolding probe continues to touch on Arizona along the way. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions about Arizona's political landscape? If you do, contact us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. Or leave us a message at 602 444-0804. And don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto and Kaylee Monahan. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.